Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 19, Text 19, Translation and Commentary by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Asmin eva varshe purushaya labdha janmabhi shukla what is that? Lohita Krishna Varnena Swarabdhena Karmana Divyamanusha Naraka Gateo Bhavya Atmano Anupur Virna Saravahieva Saraveshang Vidhiyante Yathavarna Vidhanam Apavargai Chapi Bhavati Apavargas Chapi Bhavati Translation The people who take birth in this tract of land, this is referring to Bharata Varsha. The, the people who take birth in this tract of land are, di- are divided according to the qualities of material nature. The modes of goodness, Satvagun, Passion, Rajoguna, and ignorance, Tamaguna. Some of them are born as exalted personalities, some are ordinary human beings, and some are extremely abominable. For in Bharata Varsha one takes birth exactly according to one's past karma. If one's position is ascertained by a bona fide spiritual master and one is properly trained to engage in the service of Lord Vishnu, according to the four social divisions, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya and Shudra, and the four spiritual divisions, Brahmachari, Grihastha, Vanaprastha and Sanyas, one's life becomes perfect. Purport. For further information, one should refer to Bhagavad Gita, chapter 14, text 18, and chapter 18, texts 42 to 45. Srila Ramanujacharya writes in his book, Vedanta Sangraha, Evang vidha para bhakti swarupa jnana visheshas yodpadaka puravokta harahara upachiyamana jnana puravaka karmanu grihita bhakti yoga eva yathoktam bhagavata parasharena varnashram eti nikhila jagad udharan ayavan Itale vatirnam parabrahma bhuta purusho tamasvayam etad uktavan svakarma niratas siddhing yata vindati tachshunu yata pravritir bhutanam yena sarvamidantatam svakarma natam abhyacha vidhing siddhing vindati manavaha The translation is not given for all of this. There's some Gita shlokas are there. Uh, it's uh, from what I can understand it's um, this quotation is uh, similar to the verse of the Bhagavatam that's uh, not the verse it's actually Gadya prose that's just been uh, given uh, 
yeah, these uh, shlokas from Bhagavatam are given about how one can achieve the from Bhagavad Gita are given about how one can achieve the perfection of life by acting according to Varnashram and worshipping Krishna. And the uh, verse from Vishnu Purana concerning this is also alluded to. Uh, and the purport goes on like that. It gives the verse. Quoting from the Vishnu Purana, the great sage Parashara Muni has recommended, Varnashramacharavata purushenaf paraf puman the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu, is worshipped by the proper execution of prescribed duties in the system of Varna and Ashrama. There is no other way to satisfy the Lord. Unquote. In the land of Bharata Varsha, the institution of Varnashram Dharma may be easily adopted. At the present moment, certain demoniac sections of the population of Bharata Varsha are disregarding the system of Varnashram Dharma because there is no institution to teach people how to become Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas and Shudras or Brahmacharis, Grihastas, Vanaprastas and Sannyasis. These demons want a classless society. This is resulting in chaotic conditions. In the name of secular government, unqualified people are taking the supreme governmental posts. No one is being trained to act according to the principles of Varnashram Dharma, and thus people are becoming increasingly degraded and are heading in the direction of animal life. The real aim of life is liberation, but unfortunately the opportunity for liberation is being denied to people in general, and therefore their human lives are being spoiled. The Krishna consciousness movement, however, is being propagated all over the world, to re-establish the Varnashram Dharma system and thus save human society for gliding down, from gliding down to hellish life. Om Jnana Timirandhasya Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurin Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Namasreshtam Manamapishati Putram Atrasurupam Rupam Tasyagrajamurapurin Maturim Goshtavatim Radha Kundam Girivaramaho Radhika Madhavasham Prapto Yasya Pratita Kripaya Sri Gurum Tamnatosmi Pandeham Sri Guru Shriataf Padakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamsha Sri Rupam Sakraja Tam Sahagarna Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sabadhutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Tetanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shivishakan Vitaksha Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare This chapter of Bhagavatam is titled The Island of Jambudweep and uh, Bharata is repeatedly referred to in here. Bharata, excuse me, sometimes uh, uh, refers to the whole planet of Earth uh, and sometimes to the land that is now 
known as Bharata. India is the English name for the country. If you see the Indian stamp, it'll have India written on it in English and Bharata in what is called Devanagari script, or that script which is associated with Hindi language. Uh, so what exactly are the boundaries of that? Well, as Srila Prabhupada said, that used to be all the world. And it's gradually shrunk. In the, in the time of the Mahabharata War, we find that, uh, at least from what is now Afghanistan, the fighters were coming, that uh, Gandhari, the wife of Dhritarashtra, she's from well, the city... Uh, second most famous city in Afghanistan, Kandahar. Kandahar, is it? Kandahar. Kandahar, Kandahar. yeah. And, uh, and Shakuni, her uncle, was from there. And also the king of Cambodge, that's Kampuchea, now known as Kampuchea. He was also, and many of the places, uh, near to India, what is now the, the country known as India, have names that suggest the Vedic heritage, just like Burma is, uh, in Sanskrit, is Brahmadesh. Siam is said to be Shamadesh, that's Thailand, now known as Thailand. And Malaya, that is a Sanskrit term also. Malayasyeva Chandaram, that word comes in the Bhagavatam. Then there are so many, just like Pakistan, they gave the Muslim country, but they gave the name Stan, which is a direct, means place, it's directly from Sanskrit, and Afghanistan, and then we have Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan, and way up in Europe, in Russia, there's one, uh, Republic in, in the Russian Federation. One of them is Tatarstan. So this all suggests the Vedic The present land of India is, is uh, well. What exactly? What are the boundaries of that? That is disputed also. Uh, <clears throat> so sometimes. Uh, Bharat is taken to mean the whole planet, and sometimes this, the relatively small country that is now known as India, plus the, that which was until recently known as India, that includes what is now uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh also, and Nepal could also be included in that. Uh, here in the verse... In not the verse, in the text. It stated that um, people born in, in this tract of land, they take birth exactly according to one's past karma. So what I understand from this is just like, uh, how many days ago? Two days ago? Three days ago? I was uh, 
telling the story of Bali Maharaj's previous life, how he was very sinful, uh, but he, uh, when he went to Yamaraj, he asked if he could enjoy the results of his pious activities before he got the results of his sinful activities. And we find that similarly with Nriga Maharaj, the story is in the Bhagavatam. He had the choice to uh, suffer his sin, the results of his sinful activities first or his pious activities, and he chose to take the results of his sinful activities. So in other species of life, such as that of the lizard, um, <coughs> that Nriga Maharaj entered, uh, one, in lower species of life, one is, uh, and in the hellish planets, one is almost exclusively suffering in the results of sinful activities. And in the heavenly planets, one is uh, almost exclusively enjoying the results of pious activities. But on, in the human life, on the earth planet, one gets a, uh, mixed bag. It's neither, neither is one uh, fully enjoying the results of pious activities nor suffering, but he gets uh, whatever's left after previous births uh, in heaven or hell, he gets life here. Uh, in this section of Bhagavatam, Srila Prabhupada discusses much about Bharata, referring to the specific land that is now known as Bharata, as India, <clears throat> and the piety of such people. And we find just before this, there's a list of rivers which are specifically in the present tract of land that is known as Bharata, plus, uh, well, some may be in, is Sindhu given, the, it's the river Sindhu that is uh, now in Pakistan. Uh, I don't see that it's given here anyway. But, uh, so this particularly, oh, that's interesting there. Narmada and Reva. So, um, from the Bhagavatam itself, from this description of the, the rivers that are prominent, it's understood that this, within the earth planet, the particular area that is now known as Bharata is very special. There many sacred rivers are there. And particularly the Supreme Personality of Godhead uh, has performed his pastimes there uh, as Krishna and Rama. Uh, they performed all their, almost all their pastimes in that land. Vamana Dev, his main best known pastime is there. Uh, and in, in India in what is now called Gujarat, in Brigukach. Uh, and the whole culture is more favorable for Krishna consciousness than uh, other parts of this planet. Uh, Srila Prabhupada often quoted 
from Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's instructions. Bharata Bhumite Hoilo Marusha Janmaja Janmashata Kari Kodopara Upaka. One who has taken birth in the land of India, Srila Prabhupada translates this, uh, as a human being should uh, perfect his life, make his life successful. That means spiritually. In India today, very people are very interested in making their lives successful materially, but that's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu meant. Janma uh, Saratak, it means to make one's life successful. It all, can also mean uh, to have lots of money, <laughs> but that's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu meant. Uh, and Koropara Upaka, to help others. And it's clear from uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's instruction that helping others doesn't mean uh, opening hospitals and schools and things like this for mundane purposes for the body, but uh, preaching Krishna consciousness. So, uh, birth in India is very special. And Srila Prabhupada, he often used to say, that he used to exhort Indians, why don't you take up Krishna consciousness very seriously? I am one Indian, he would say. And I have done so much. If others would also take it up, there could be a great effect. And he wanted uh, anyone and everyone who would take it up. But he, but he exhorted exhorted particularly uh, Indians to take that up because uh, as we see now uh, Indians can very easily take to Krishna consciousness at that time when Srila Prabhupada was preaching not many Indian people were joining our movement and in, in in this particularly not as full-time devotees although in Mayapur uh, quite a lot of Bangladeshi refugees joined so they they were coming for a mixture of material, maybe more material reasons, because uh, you could imagine a refugee there in a difficult situation. Um, not that they were not inclined to Krishna consciousness, but uh, they had many material needs also. Srila so, uh, Prabhupada particularly wanted that the educated class of people would join, but hardly anywhere at the time. Shortly after Srila Prabhupada left this world, then you could say a better class of, in the sense of more uh, educated, cultured class started to join. And now uh, our movement is predominantly, you could say, and probably in terms of the number of initiated devotees, I think there's no doubt that uh, every year all over the world, if you, if anyone was to take a census then uh, I would think almost certainly the majority of devotees getting initiated by gurus of ISKCON are from a, an Indian Hindu background. Uh, sometimes that has caused some consternation that, that uh, in the Western countries, in the Western countries, uh, actually the Shastrik is... Uh, Shastric injunction is that one should not cross the sea. If one goes overseas, then one becomes uh, fallen. Uh, I suppose that's because of mixing with people who are outside the Varnashram culture. Uh, and one is it's not able to... In places where the Varnashram culture isn't there, then you can't follow it. And if you can't follow Varnashram culture, then you can't progress in in spiritual life you then you then automatically you become 
uh, outside the institution of an ashram. You become a chandal, something like this. Uh, that injunction is largely forgotten nowadays. Uh, although recently, when one of the Madhva Sampradaya sannyasis went overseas, it recently means 10 or 15 years ago, uh, there was, it, would, it was scandal, considered scandalous within his, com- within his community. And he, there was some idea to ban him from worship of the deity there in Udupi. But that's all passed over now. and uh, It's still not much favored, but it's just accepted as part of life. Uh, but even without going outside of India, the Indians are becoming fallen in so many ways, uh, losing their culture, uh, embracing Western culture. But still, uh, the possibility we see as they are to become Krishna conscious more, they can accept Krishna conscious more easily. Uh, we see that uh, many Indians who come to the West, well, they they don't come for spiritual life. And many of them, they become uh, very Westernized, which means very fallen from the spiritual point of view. Uh, and some of them see the Western way of life uh, in its full naked debasement. In in India, people, they can't believe how fallen the Western world is until they go there. And some who see that, they they don't want to be like that. And then they take to their culture more strongly. And um, in our Krishna conscious movement, many are coming from Hindu background in in uh, in England, Australia, America, Canada, all these places. Uh, so yes, yeah, sometimes there's some consternation about that that our movement's becoming overly Indian. Um, that's not necessary. I mean, necessarily, I mean, it's not at all a bad thing. We want that everyone will come to Krishna consciousness, and if Indians come. Of course, it should be welcome. This movement started off in the West with mostly, uh, almost all, Western members. Of course, we know we're all spirit soul, but we're talking in social terms, as Srila Prabhupada does, and as the Bhagavatam itself does here, in talking about uh, people who take birth in different parts of the world. So we want that uh, everyone take to Krishna consciousness and at the present time mostly uh, Indians are joining. That that can be some cause for consternation if we uh, neglect preaching to uh, non-Indians or non-Hindus. That It's relatively easy in the West to preach to and bring in people from uh, an Indian background, because they have that cultural background. And they're often uh, much easier to deal with than people coming from a Western background, because people coming from an Indian background, they're already, still, they have the culture to a large extent. Uh, They're mostly 
educated, responsible people, whereas uh, many people, compared to Western people, they're, we can say they're, generally speaking, culturally superior. And they tend not to have so many psychological problems. And Hare Krishna. So, and uh, it's very good for the Krishna conscious movement that they join it, but that doesn't mean that we want that they only they join it. So, uh, I don't think we should complain that so many Indian people are joining. Some people complain that our movement's becoming over Indianized, but no one was complaining in the 1960s and 70s that, well, only hippies are joining. <laughs> so, but the hippies went out, and or the hippies who became devotees they went out and preached to everyone. So, the uh, Indians who have taken to Krishna consciousness in America and other countries they can also go out and preach to everyone. Uh, Vaisheshika Prabhu especially is spearheading this in America. That. Uh, young or whatever, Indians can go out uh, at least at the weekend and distribute books to everyone. Adi Guru Prabhu, uh, yesterday, who's took to Krishna consciousness in India and is now here in America, told me in, uh, in one city, probably Pittsburgh, where he's based, he has regular Sunday, pro two Sunday programs, one for Indians and one for non-Indians. So that makes sense because uh, people are from different cultural backgrounds and uh, Srila Prabhupada also approved that, that in, uh, well, that a separate, in Cleveland, Ohio, Srila Prabhupada approved that a separate center be there for black-bodied devotees. Did you know that? Heard of that before? And he gave the... Uh, Srila Prabhupada quoted, birds of a feather flock together. They can be together also. In, in Harrisburg, I saw in uh, Pennsylvania when I went there, it's mostly Indian group, but quite they were preaching among the local people also, and quite a few Western people were coming also. <coughs> so, uh, there, may be, there may be some cultural differences, but uh, Srila Prabhupada gave the analogy of Andhapangunyai, uh, of the, the blind man and the lame man. And he, he, this, Srila Prabhupada applied it in a, in a novel way. Uh, well, the, the analogy of the blind man and the lame man is that the, the blind man uh, he can't see where he's going. He may be physically strong, but he can't see where to go. Whereas the lame man can see where to go, but he's not physically strong. So if the lame man is climbs on the back of the blind man and gives directions, then they can both go to where they need to go. So Srila Prabhupada gave this analogy that... Uh, the West is like a strong blind man 
has got economic, technological, and political strength. Whereas India is has got spiritual knowledge, but is technologically lagging. Of course, in those days there was a bigger gap than there is nowadays. So Srila Prabhupada suggested that if the uh, material strength of the West is combined with the spiritual vision of India, then uh, in Krishna consciousness, that's the whole point, then uh, the whole world can be benefited. Um, there, there has been some resentment also against uh, Indian devotees. Many came previously, and that's not very possible now, due to a tightening of immigration uh, facilities. But uh, there used to be many devotees from India would come to America and other Western countries and serve in temples, usually as pujaris and cooks. And after some time they'd get their green card and then they'd be out of the temple and earning money. Not all of them. Some of them just stayed in the, in the temple also, just like the, you see there that in uh, San Diego, what's his name? Loka? Lokajit. He's in the temple. And uh, Srikant in, in New York, he's like the engine of the whole temple. And he cooks, you know, cooks and sings and he's uh, very active. And of course he takes, as, as a Grihasta, he sends money back to uh, his family. But uh, not he could earn more if he went outside, but he doesn't like to. Uh, some or many did like that and that has been uh, not much appreciated by many devotees that they appear to be very materialistic but uh, those who come they do do good service and uh, even if they go outside and earn money in most cases they're mostly Bengalis uh, in most cases they send money back to their families and then they get land in Mayapur and build a house in Mayapur. So it's, it's not that they're not devotees or that they're earning money simply for sense enjoyment. <coughs> but uh, they're, com they're maybe using andapangunyai in a different way. They're combining the facility of the Krishna consciousness movement with... Uh, putting the, the material needs of their families coming from poor backgrounds, they're putting it together. But then the material needs of their families, they also, uh, generally they fulfill that in a, in a Krishna conscious way by building a house in Mayapur for their family to live in. So maybe they don't have the same idealism as devotees that uh, join in the West have because they come from... Usually in the West they come for, for the philosophy and they're very committed. But there are pros and cons also because many Western devotees, despite their idealism, 
uh, at some point they fall into uh, back into their old subcultural ways. Whereas, uh, of course, we're speaking very generally here, but um, but Indian devotees, even though they may not strive to go so high, but they tend to remain quite steady and they go on uh, chanting Hare Krishna throughout their life. And uh, in, in many cases, they've kept temples running on in times when uh, no Western devotees were joining. So, we don't want to make too much of a distinction. This is a Western devotee, this is an Indian devotee. Uh, all, all devotees are devotees. Although they're, here in the Bhagavatam, in this section, there's uh, some distinction is made, and sometimes uh, that is practical, some kind of distinction is made. Those who are from India, they have good opportunity. So on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's order, they should not be content simply with their own spiritual life, but should try to uh, give that to others. Uh, one thing I always try to remember, in, while, even while I'm preaching, and most, most of my life I've been in India, while I'm preaching to Indians and telling them, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, but uh, I always try to remember that uh, they are persons born in India are uh, from a much better cultural background than I'm from. Uh, it's only by Srila Prabhupada's mercy that I am a, have any idea of Krishna at all. Whereas in India, even without Srila Prabhupada, people at least have some idea, culture of Krishna consciousness, of course. They get without Prabhupada's mercy, then they tend to have mixed up ideas. But uh, that that culture is still going on. Uh, Srila Prabhupada and his movement have very much revived the culture of India. It was really going down. Vrindavan was uh, when I first went there. It was it was like a ramshackle place, the ashrams were run down. And now it, Vrindavan has become very wealthy because of the influx of devotees. Land has become very costly there. <laughs> um, so this is all due to the inspiration that Srila Prabhupada gave. So anyway, there are some thoughts on uh, Indians and non-Indians in Krishna consciousness. We're, we're often devotees are concerned. We're not preaching to the Americans, but when I preaching to the Americans, it seems in there also we mostly focus on on uh, white people. Or what about the Latinos and the black-bodied? They can also be devotees. Why? Why? Why focus only on the white people? Old people, young people, every, or everyone. Everyone can become Krishna conscious, so why not? There's, there are also many uh, people in America now from China, Vietnam, Korea, Japan, all these places. They're pretty tough, it seems. 
Is it? Difficult. Difficult. In Japan, and it's been difficult all these years to bring people to Krishna consciousness. All those who come, they're very good. But it's really difficult to get people to come. I was in Thailand for some time also. It was difficult to get people to commit themselves. So, there's... A, they're also, they're all, I mean, America, the whole world's here. Every, people from all over. There are many Iranians, and although they're from Muslim background, they're, they're actually quite open to Christian consciousness, it seems. So, you can also preach to the whole world right in America, because students are from all over the world. So that's way to, that, the, the Muslim, Barrier. We never, we never really infiltrated the Muslim world in a big way. So one way might be to preach to Muslim students here. Just some ideas. All right, Hare Krishna. It's almost eight o'clock, and I'm supposed to finish at eight o'clock. And anyway, I'm more or less finished what I had to say there. Unless there are any questions, comments, or anything else. Yeah. No, Having the third program uh, for white body, body. You see, you say white body. You say white bodied. Westerners. Westerners, yeah. We, we, we tend to think of Indians and white bodied. Why don't we think of all the others? Yellow bodied, black bodied, yeah, like Latino, yeah. Like black Indian, separate Latino. Yeah. Having this program, we still say that. Spiritually, they may uh, progress, but uh, don't you think it may take a little longer if they're not culturally mixed with, uh, like, United Prabhupada? United there may be pros and cons of having separate programs for Indians and Westerners. There may be, yeah. But it's just like among Indians in general, you can, if you quote a lot of Sanskrit, they'll appreciate that and they can understand it to a large extent, just like if you say, Chartur Varnyang Maya Srishtam, then you can explain the four Varnas and you don't, Maya by me Srishtam created. Whereas for people who don't, who don't speak Indian languages, it'll be very difficult for them to understand what you're talking, talking about. And uh, it, it, culturally, or you have a head start, no doubt, coming from an Indian background. Culturally and philosophically, and 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 maybe different kinds of an artist to be addressed also. Because uh, Indians are Hindus are generally attached to demigod worship, which is not a, generally a major issue among Westerners, unless they're associated with Hindus. <laughs> so. So that's a major thing that has to be addressed. And even Mayavad, the both everyone all over the world is infected by it, but in a but in a different way, you could say, more in in a different way. But Indians and non-Indians, in, in the non-Indians, they're affected by it in the New Age kind of way. And Indians by Indian gurus. Of course, these are generalizations. So there are, there are some advantages also. And also, yeah, just like this, uh, 
this uh, this Carol who we met in Orlando in the university. She said she'd been to the temple there, and she didn't have a good experience because she she saw the idols, which in Christianity you're not supposed to have. And she saw people bowing down, and she didn't like that. Just two nights ago, here also, that one man he he expressed his discomfort with seeing people bow down to humans, to myself. So, but that doesn't, I, I don't think that we shouldn't do these things because people might be discouraged by them. I, I, we should still do them. And we can explain as required. I've heard in at least one center they don't do Tulsi RT and they don't bow down and think because they're trying to, they're trying to make it culturally accessible to westerners but then if you take everything out there's nothing left what are you going to give them there's a commonly asked question among devotees just like in an airport or a train station if a sannyasi arrives should the devotees bow down as is the culture to do so and i say because western people might think that's strange or not only strange but they may consider it objectionable but I say yeah do it let them get used to it otherwise they're never going to get used to it just like when devotees first went on Harinam in the west people they were disturbed by it they thought it was something very strange and, and objectionable but gradually they got used to it now again they need getting used to it <laughs> Yeah, he says very rare that that well well some sannyasis tell others don't bow down in public. And in uh, Udupi this uh when he was in Pariyai this uh Sugonendra Tirtha he told us that uh if, when he's walking around in Udupi or in the temple or whatever, if people bow down to him, he knows they're ISKCON members because no one else does. Even his own Sampradaya people don't do it. Yeah, I did to him. Hmm? A couple of years back when we went to Udupi, I did to him. He was on yeah. I did to him, he stopped and uh, nothing more. He stopped. Uh, yeah, yeah. Someone. Then when I got up, only then he continued. Yeah, he stopped to accept the obeisance, yeah.
Yeah, the question is about preaching to people. Should we see them as souls or as the body? Do we want to get so much into bodily conscious distinguishing? Yeah, we see everyone as spirit soul, but at the same time that we deal with people according to the uh, socio-psycho-cultural disposition that they have. Uh, just like I'm t- I've spoke a lot here about in today about Indian devotees and Western devotees. Everyone is spirit soul that we know. In Gita, Krishna says, Vidyavinaya sampanne brahmane gavihastini shuni cha pandita samadarshinaha. That a learned person sees with equal vision a learned uh, and humble brahmana, a vidyavinaya uh, sampanne brahmane, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and a dog eater. But that doesn't mean that you treat them the same. You don't uh, you don't treat a dog the same way as you treat a learned and gentle brahmana. So similarly, for instance, if we're preaching, uh, if you see someone who's dressed as a business person nowadays, generally businessman, then uh, you may you'll generally approach them in a different mood than you would if you see someone who's a student or a hippie or or a biker or whatever. Sometimes the businessmen during the week are bikers at the weekend. <laughs> uh, living out their fantasies. So there is, I mean, there are, we, there are differences in the way we approach people. We want to give Krishna to them, Krishna consciousness. But we do so being cognizant of their the attitudes they have and, and the dress speaks a lot and the body can speak a lot also so some difference is there and again we, we, we everyone is a spirit soul but we don't try to preach to dogs and cats because they're also spirit souls but the, the only thing we can do for them is to uh, chant Hare Krishna in their presence and give them some prasadam. You can't try and get them to get up. Well, there are some dogs that come to Mongolati, and but not many. Get the, get them to chant their rounds. Pretty difficult for a dog. They don't have the. They don't have the. Uh, Voice box, up, voice box apparatus. But nor, nor can they understand. That's the real point. They can't understand what is Krishna consciousness. <laughs>